And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we do not hear your voice, O God, we ask you to speak to each of us then here in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. If you were here last week, you may have noticed that today's story in Luke's gospel picks up where last week's left off. We finished last week in the 37th, cha- the 37th verse of chapter 10, and today we pick up at verse 38. But you will also probably notice that today's passage is really different from last week. For those of you who weren't here, uh, last week's passage began with an attorney or a lawyer walking up to Jesus and asking him what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus turned the question back on him, said, what do you think? He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And the story could have ended there, but the man pressed it further and said, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered the question with a story about a Samaritan who was good, who did what was good. And we talked about that story in the context of Jesus looking towards his death in Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, just a little bit, a little bit, a few pages before what we heard today, there is a key turning moment in Luke's gospel. Because at that particular verse, Luke tells us that Jesus set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. Jesus' focus from that moment through the rest of Luke's gospel is on the cross, is on what he was sent to do, what God purposed him to do in this earth, which was to go to the cross to suffer and to die and then to rise again. So from that point forward, Jesus is got, has got blinders on, focused on what God has called him to do and where he is headed and what that's going to entail. This is the thing, though. Jesus is not on a sprint towards Jerusalem. He is not in a he's not viewing it as a race to get there. He's focused, he's intentional. And what we see happen today, last week we heard about how he paused to answer somebody's question. But today something happens that's important for us as believers. Jesus takes the time to rest, to be with friends and to talk with them and to teach them. Because you see in verse 38, right after Jesus tells the lawyer, go and do likewise, he continues on the way. And we hear in verse 38, as they went on their way, he entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. We don't know once Jesus gets there, we know that he starts teaching and he starts talking. We don't know everything that he said. We don't know all the content of what he taught them that day. But what we do know is as we heard in Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 today, that he was focused on bringing reconciliation and peace through the blood of his cross. He's, yeah, he's present with his friends, but he's very much aware of the sacrifice he's going to make as well. And so what he was saying in that moment mattered. He knew that it mattered. He knew that the people needed to hear it. And yet all he could do was provide them with the information. All he could do is provide them with the insight to see what they did with that. And Jesus should be the focus of the passage today. But as we know happens with this passage, we often get caught up in 
Martha and Mary. And I want to ask you today to avoid doing something that is so easy to do. And even after the early service this morning, I went back and listened to a little bit of the sermon. And I thought, goodness, it, I even did this a little bit earlier today. What we tend to do is we tend to get on Team Martha or Team Mary. And we, t- we want to defend Martha. We want to see the good. We want to see the good in what she's saying. We want to defend the fact that she needs help in the kitchen. Amen. Anybody who's ever worked in a kitchen at a dinner party knows you need some help sometime. But then other times we get on Team Mary and we turn Mary into the saint and forget that she's a human being. And I just want to ask you today, let's try to avoid the polarities that try to drive us, that try to drive the story into a rivalry because that's not what's happening here. And and what what is happening here is this simple truth, friends. Jesus stopped to stay with the two of them. He stopped for this party. He stopped for this dinner with these women. And we know from John's gospel, they have a brother named Lazarus who's probably there too. Jesus stops here because he knows them. He's friends with them. We don't know if he's raised Lazarus from the dead yet, but we do know from John's gospel, he had a long relationship with with them and he has stopped there simply to spend time with them and not and in the midst of that they run into something that plagues all of us and that is the control that distraction can have over us in verses 38 and 39 in verse 39 look again with me and uh, these two verses Mar- Martha had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. Tell her to help me. Have any of you ever prayed to Jesus like this before and said, Jesus, my brother or my sister, my mom or dad, my kid, they're they're not doing what I need for them to do. There's a lot of honesty here in what Martha is saying. But if you look there very quickly, we encounter in Martha a spiritual disease that plagues our society and that can cause us harm if we give in to it. And that is why we are talking about this in the midst of healing. This is something from which we need healing on a daily basis, and that is being controlled by life's distractions. Jesus diagnoses Martha in verse 41. After she talks to him, he says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. This is the thing, though, friends. Jesus doesn't tell her, Martha, don't be distracted. Martha, don't worry. He just simply points out there are distractions, there are worries that are plaguing your attention. And I use that word plague intentionally because, as we all know, we are bombarded day in and day out with distractions that want to pull us away from spending time with Jesus. That want to pull us away from that place of peace that God wants for us to live in. And here's the thing. We can't get rid of the distractions. Have you ever tried to get rid of distractions before? If you try to get rid of them, they're going to multiply. And they're going to get even more difficult to overcome. Distractions are not something that we get rid 
rid of. They are something that we have to learn to keep our focus in the midst of them. We have to learn that this chronicle spiritual illness will harm us if we don't treat it. And, we, and, the, and what the illness is is being controlled by things outside of our control, being controlled by all of the things that are calling for our attention to the point that we are neglecting the fact that Jesus is right in front of us desiring to spend just a little bit of time with us, and yet we have so much trouble with that. But Jesus offers us here, if we look closely, a practical solution. I want to tell you a story that I think will bring this to light. On Friday, we celebrated the life um, of a longtime member here at First United Methodist Church, Carlisle Campbell. And after the service was over, we went to the graveside, came back, had lunch in the fellowship hall, and I was wrapping, uh, wrapping up and uh, left the fellowship hall and has told everybody goodbye. I was walking to my office, and as, you, as many of you know, I have to walk through the sanctuary to go to my office. And as I walked underneath the balcony, I heard this thumping sound, and it was a lot of thumping. Well, Carlisle had six grandchildren, and I think the oldest is about 12 or 13. The youngest one is two. And I was suddenly aware that they were in the balcony and that they were coming downstairs. They had an adult relative with them, so they, you know, they did have an adult present with them, but they were all coming down the stairs. And, I mean, these are six beautiful, well-behaved, just adorable children. And they came up to me and started talking, and they were being so sweet, I said, would y'all like to sit in the big chairs up front? Well, they didn't walk. They came running to sit in the big chairs, and their relative had his camera. Six of them somehow fit into these four chairs, but they managed, and he took pictures of them, and I was just standing here watching, and they came to the pulpit and, you know, talked into the microphone. I was just on cloud nine, and then one of them started looking back there. And uh, then another one did, and uh, I remembered, oh, yeah, there are chairs back there that look very tempting. So the doors open, they walk back there, and I remember, oh, yeah, there's an organ back there with lots of buttons and lots of settings that Miss Polly has fit. And uh, Miss Polly, we know that um, I don't know much about organs, but I know those buttons are probably important. And, they are, and you have them in specific places. So I come running down the aisle at that point, or, or running up here and said, hey, guys, you know what? Um, you can't touch the buttons on the organ, but you can touch the keys if you want to. You can sit on the organ bench, but uh, we just can't touch the buttons. And the relative said, right, don't touch the buttons. Have you ever seen six children sitting on an organ bench surrounded by buttons that are just saying, please, please touch me? Please punch me. Please. She told you not to do this. This means that you need to do it. I was so impressed. They, the, they did not touch anything, but they sat there, and they looked so incredibly bored. And I, and I was thinking, well, okay, what do we do here? They're, they're sitting on an organ bench just fighting these distractions. And one of the kids eventually spoke up, and she stood up, and she looked over, and she said, can I go play that piano over there? And I said, please, yes, go play the piano. So one by one, they all go over there. And then I noticed the two-year-old was still missing, and she was back here attempting to get at the buttons on the organ. But we got her on down to play the piano soon, too. But, you see, what happened there is what happens with us in life. We're surrounded by, or, by buttons on an organ and pumps and different knobs and things, and we just want to tend to all of it. We're, we, we look at one, and then we get distracted by another, where our little sister gives us the right idea, where she says, hey, let's go play the piano. 
instead. Let's get back to the focus of why we're here, which is to have fun and to enjoy this time together. And what we have to do sometimes when we are just bombarded with the buttons of life and the options that we have and we can't get to all of it when we want to is to stop and say, you know what, I need to spend time at the feet of Jesus. When you feel overwhelmed, friends, by everything that you have to do, the hardest thing to do is to stop and to pray and to spend time with Jesus and to spend time in the Word. But that is the thing that He wants for us and needs for us to do. Look at what He says to Mary and Martha in verse 42. After He diagnoses Martha with chronic distraction, He says to her, There is need of only one thing. You're distracted by many things, but I only need for you to focus on one thing. Mary has chosen the better part. What she has gained today won't be taken from her. Friends, I guarantee you it may not feel like it at first, especially if you can only, you know, spend 10 minutes in prayer a day. But go ahead and give God that 10 minutes. And then maybe next week you could build it up to 15 minutes. What Jesus, and maybe even more than that in the weeks to come, but Jesus is showing us here that he needs for us to spend time with him because life is short. The writer of Ecclesiastes says over and over, life is vanity. Life is but a vapor. And in the midst of tremendous loss this past week um, for Carlisle Campbell's family, and any time we go through a loss, we are very much aware of that, that life is short. Jesus was aware when he was talking to Mary and Martha that his time on earth was short. And he was saying, do what matters. Spend time with me. Listen to me. Think about and meditate upon the cross with me. Go through this suffering with me. When, and when we do that with Jesus, when we spend time with him, that is the one thing that he desires. He sees us like he sees Mary and Martha as his friends, as people he wants to be with, as people he wants to give good teaching to, as people that he wants to give great Holy Spirit power to. But it's up to us to abandon Distraction, uh, Just like the children abandoned the organ and focused on the piano, we have to learn how to, set, how to just abandon the things that plague us. And yes, we'll have to get back to some of those obligations eventually, but Jesus is saying, please set aside the time for the one thing needed and the one thing that can't be taken away from you. Time is short. It's all and life is but a vapor. Let's not waste it trying to fulfill all of these expectations that we put on ourselves. Yes, let's do the work that we need to do, but let's not do it on our own power. Let's first get that power from sitting at the feet of Jesus and from that place of reverence, from that place of learning, then go forth to serve. And may we not be controlled by the sickness of distraction, but may we overcome it through the power of the Holy Spirit who heals us, who restores us, who makes us whole as individuals and as God's people. For to him, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit belongs all glory, both now and forever. Amen.